Well, we're in week three of our series called Pre-Decide. Now, why does it even matter that we take time to pre-decide? Here's why. Because the quality of our decisions determine the quality of our lives. And you see this all through the Bible. Um, just after Pentecost in the book of Acts, uh, Peter and John, they were on their way to the temple and they come across this lame man and, uh, and he says, give me, you know, give me money, give me money, give me money. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked away. And pretty soon there's a little rumbling about all that and, and the religious leaders heard about it, so they kind of summons Peter and John uh, to the Sanhedrin council. Then here's what Peter says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now that is pre-deciding. And they are bold about it, man. And the Sanhedrin says, hey, y'all, y'all better stop all that Jesus talk. And here's how Peter and John replied, Acts 4, 19. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling everyone what we have seen and heard. Boom, pre-deciding. You know, the average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. You made a bunch of them this morning. You decided to get up. You decided to brush your teeth, thank God. You decided what you were going to wear. You decided to come to church. You decided where you were going to sit. And a thousand other decisions just this morning. Mm. Why does pre-deciding matter so much? Why not just go through life doing whatever feels right in your heart at any given moment? Because what feels right in our hearts in any given moment can be an incredibly stupid decision. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. We've looked at this verse every week. Proverbs 2, 11. Wise choices will watch over you. Well, that's a powerful statement. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. There is power in pre-deciding. This can be true on a very small level. Um, for instance, ha have you ever gone to the grocery store while you were hungry without a list? You know what I'm talking about. You spend money you don't need to spend on things you don't need to eat. It, and it's never healthy things, right? I mean, you don't stop in front of the vegetables and go, man, look at that lettuce. 
Ooh, I'll tell you what, man, I'm gonna get, man, when I get home, I'm gonna tear that salad up, man. Now, that's not what we do, right? I mean, you know what we do? We park ourselves in front of the ice cream, and you get a box of Klondike bars and eat two of them before you check out. I mean, that's what happens when you go to the grocery store hungry without a list, because you pre-decided, I don't need a list. Pre-deciding not only affects our lives in small ways like that, but pre-deciding affects our lives in some huge ways. Mm. The first week of pre-decide, um, we talked about pre-deciding to be generous, and I issued a 30-day tithe challenge. And I asked you to let me know what God's going to do. So, so, so many of you said, I'm taking that challenge, I'm going to do it, I'm going to tithe for 30 days, and I'm going to trust God. I heard this story just yesterday. Uh, a lady decided uh, she was going to do it, and so she started doing it, and sure enough, the thing that happens uh, when we start, we're going to trust God, you get tested, and um, she had to decide, I can tithe, and then I won't have enough money to make my car payment next week, or I can trust God. She decided to trust God. Two days later, it was her birthday, and she got a birthday card from, from a family member that had a check in it for $24,000 so she could pay her car off. Now, now I hesitate a little bit to tell you that because I, I, you might be thinking, oh, well, I did it. I didn't get a check. So God's promise is he'll take care of us. Now, that doesn't always mean you're going to get an unexpected check to pay off your car. By the way, you thought I was going to say she got a check to make her car payment, didn't you? I mean, so God is exceedingly abundantly, right? I mean, so um, sometimes God and his promise to meet all of our needs when we're faithful with our money just means, man, your car doesn't break down. You stay healthy. And all kinds of other ways that often we're very unaware of. But God is faithful. Today we're going to talk about uh, pre-deciding to be close to God. Um, so here's the first thing. When I'm close to God, here's what he'll do. He'll strengthen your faith. I mean, when we're close to God, man, we keep growing in our faith. Uh, Hebrews 11:6 6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. Uh, for whoever would, get this, draw near, you know, get close, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here's another thing God will do when we get close to them. He'll reveal the condition of our heart. And I, I love uh, this verse in James 4. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and he'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Um, so when we decide, God, I'm all in with you. God, I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. I'm just telling you, man, God's going to reveal what's really in your heart. And when we say, God, here's my life. I want you to be my all in all. 
But sometimes God has to say, uh, yeah, well, let's check something in there. Because there are things we don't see or we forget about. Four things that keep us from God are right here in these verses. Our pride, humble yourselves, our enemy, resist the devil, draw close to God, he'll draw us close to you, our sin, purify yourself, you sinners. I mean, look at your hands, they're dirty. Clean your hands up, clean your sin up. And then our loyalties, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You ever struggle with that tension? You know, that, man, I love God, and I, I want to be all in with God, but man, you know, I love, I mean, there's this tension that constantly exists in our heart. And the more we can resist the sin, clean that part up, resist the devil, draw close to God, the more our loyalty bends toward God. But there's tension. And there's tension in every one of us. And if you say there's not, you're not being honest because you have a sin nature and you have the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a believer. And that creates tension. But our loyalty bends toward God. And when our loyalty bends toward God, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to God. The more we resist the things of the world, the more we resist the devil, the more we humble ourselves, the closer we get to God. Um, here's another thing God does when we want to be close to him. He'll remind us he is the source. John 15. Remain in me, there it is, get close to God, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, God is the source. He is the vine. The branch gets everything that it needs from the vine, but you snap the branch off from the vine, it can do nothing but die. But I'll tell you what happens. When we get close to God, when we just pre-decide I'm going to get as close to God as I can. I want to know him more and more and more. You know what we discover? The less I can do and the more God wants to do. You know what we discover? He's the source of everything. I, can't, I don't even have air to breathe without him. So you go, yeah, okay, I get that, man. I mean, <laughs> wow. How do I do that? I doubt there's anybody in this room right now who would say, eh, I don't know. I really don't want to be close to God. If that were true, you wouldn't be here. But maybe a lot of you are thinking, I want to be. How do I do that? Huh. Write this down. Here's where we start. 
Honestly ask God to show you where you are. You can't get where you want to be if you don't know where you are. Look what David prayed, and we're just going to kind of break down this prayer uh, the rest of our time today. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David knew that. You, you got to know where you are. Search me, oh God. That's a huge deal, right? God, here's what he means. God, I, I want you to get out your spotlight. And I want you to search every nook and cranny of my life and my heart and my motivation. And those things that I think that nobody else knows and those things that I've done that I'd be so embarrassed if anybody ever found out, God already knows. Search me, oh God. Hmm. Can you, can you pray that? Search me, oh God, and know my heart. So here, God uh, in these two verses gives us four things that he wants to do for us to be closer to him. Here's the first one. God wants to clarify our motives. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know, in the Bible, the heart is always our emotional center, things that we feel. I mean, David's not asking for a cardiac exam. You know, no, hey, can you get out your stethoscope and check out my heart, make sure it's beating right? No, he's talking about his emotion. I mean, when, so when we say to somebody, when I say, Jenny, I love you with all of my liver. <laughs> we wouldn't say that, right? That's, I mean, it's not what he's talking about here. We wouldn't say that, although when I look at my baby, I still get a little quiver in my liver. I'm saying, you know what I'm talking about? Love you, baby. David isn't asking God to search his heart. This is a big deal. So God can know what's in there. David is asking God to search his heart so he can know what's in there because David knows his heart can deceive him about what his real motives are. But he knows God knows everything about him. Hmm. I mean, all of us have stuff. All of us have wrong motives. So when you say to somebody, hey, you look really good today. Well, what are we looking for? When we say, oh, you know what? Man, I'll tell you what, you... I love it when you pray. You, you're so smart. You're so kind. You're so... What's our motivation? Hmm. David knew God. It was God. It had to be God who searched his heart because he knew 
how many times his own heart had deceived him. That's why David said in Psalm 37, 4, uh, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desire. It doesn't mean God will give you whatever you desire. It's just the opposite. It means that God will give you the right desires. So when God, search me, O God, and know my heart, God, check every nook and cranny of it. And God does. And we desire to get close to God. We delight ourselves in the Lord. And God says, I'm going to take that selfish desire and give you the correct desire. I'm going to take that lustful desire and give you a generous desire. That's what God does. So David prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. David knew our hearts would deceive us every time. And the only way we can really know our desires are right is when those desires come from God. So God, give me the right desires. See, if we're going to be close to God, we have to be honest about our motivations. To bring us close to God, God also wants to, write this down, purify our thinking. And he says, try me and know my anxieties. It literally means my anxious thoughts. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Try... Um, it's kind of a word picture uh, of purifying metal um, where, you know, if you heat up metal, heat up metal, heat up metal, heat up metal, the impurities come to the top. You take those off. And so the hotter the fire, the hotter the smelt, the more pure the metal is. David is saying, God, turn up the heat in my life and let's see where my mind goes because I want my mind to be purified. I want to think the right things. Where does your mind go when you face hard things? Worry, anxiety, trust in God. Try me, turn up the heat, and know my anxious thoughts. Hmm. You get this, right? Worry and anxiety lead us away from God, not closer to God. In fact, when we get eat up with that stuff and we start kind of drifting away from God, we, we start doubting God, right? God, why? What's this all about, God? You said you were going to take care of me. Look. But when we're close to God, we don't have anxious feelings. We don't have worry in our minds. We have faith. We have trust. So here's God's answer for worry and anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What do we pray? 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And here's the result. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart. That's the emotion. That's what we feel. And our minds, that's where we worry, as you live in Christ Jesus. Man, those are powerful words. Remember one time I had a, had a guy in my office, and he was freaking out about all kinds of things in life. He was so worried. He was eat up with it. And I just said, come here, sit down next to me. I opened up my Bible to Philippians 4. I said, let's just look through this. And he started crying, and he said, man, that is exactly what I need. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to memorize these verses, and I just want you to quote them to yourself all the time. And then next week, I want you to come back. Okay, so he comes back next week. He's got a big old smile on his face. And uh, I said, well, man, are you worried? He said, I forgot to tell you, um, you know, I'm really bad at memorizing stuff, so I got it tattooed on my arm. <laughs> Had a tattoo, you know, be anxious for nothing, you know. You could have worse thing tattooed on your arm, right? I mean, I thought that was hilarious. Anyway, so look at the progression in these verses. Pray. How do we pray? Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. So that's, God, I'm depending on you. Here's what I need. And God, thank you for being so faithful in my life already. That gives us confidence in our prayer. Then God's peace will guard your heart where you hurt, where you have anxiety, and your mind where you worry. Now here's the key to all of that. As you live in Christ Jesus. So maybe you're thinking right now, I, you know, there's been so many times I've been really worried. I've been stressed out, man. Anxiety just killing me. And I go pray. But when I'm done, I still feel those things. Well, that just means you're not through praying. You got to get back into it. And you stay there until God does this. He said... He would do it. God promised you that he will give you peace and guard your heart and your mind when, here we go now, you live in Christ Jesus. So how do you do that? What does that even mean to live in Christ Jesus? Here we go. If the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me, and if you are a believer, it is that means we never have to give in to worry and anxiety because if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. Worries, anxiety, man, they're always after this. They're always after us. But the Prince of Peace, man, when you're walking in Christ Jesus, when you're living in Christ Jesus, just snuffs them out. Man, you're going, you know how that works? Man, I, I'm going through life. Oh, man, this bill's doing, I don't, what am I going to, I mean, I don't want that. Man, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What am I worried about? Somebody you love leaves you. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Wait. God said he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. Man, you're going through life, and all of a sudden, you just, you're kind of looking around going, Why am I so alone? Man, I don't have friends. I don't have, I mean, what? And then you, ah, oh, 
Man, hey, I've got one who sticks closer than a brother. You see, living in Christ Jesus means that I believe Jesus bore my sins on the cross. It means that I believe Jesus was put in a grave for three days. It means that I believe Jesus conquered death, rose up from that grave. It means that because I believe that, I am his child and his spirit lives in me and empowers me to make those decisions instead of giving in to worry and anxiety. I am more than a conqueror. That's what it means. So when my heart starts feeling anxious, it means that in that moment, I'm being tempted to to drift away from God, and I have forgotten who I am in Christ Jesus. It means that when my mind is worrying in that moment, I'm being tempted to drift away from God, and I have forgotten I live in Christ Jesus. But when I'm living in Christ Jesus, when worry and anxiety comes, I can say, you get on out of here. I'm not believing your lies. I'm living in Christ Jesus, who is king of all things, and you have no power over me. That's what it means to live in Christ Jesus. And when we live in Christ Jesus, he purifies our thinking and he draws us close to him. Everything begins with a thought. And if you want to live with a polluted mind, full of lies, full of anxiety, full of worry, full of doubt, full of fear, you can, but you don't have to. When you draw close to God, he draws close to you. And it gives you peace that surpasses understanding. Hmm. So we can be close to God. He also does this. He helps us identify our sin. And see if there is any wicked way in me. Um, I, I listen to... XM radio in my, when I'm in my car. And uh, recently I found that there's a Billy Graham channel, channel 460, if you're interested. And it's just nonstop Billy Graham sermons. And, and you know, when I was growing up, I heard Billy Graham twice in person, once when I was a kid in Dallas, Texas. And uh, then kind of in the mid-90s, he came to Charlotte, was on his last crusades. I went to that and saw him. I also watched him... Uh, on TV growing up. I mean, you got to stop him and say, now, wait a minute. All the networks put Billy Graham's crusade on TV prime time. If you're old like me, you remember that. You're going, wow, Billy Graham's on TV. I mean, I remember one time I thought, man, they don't have Sanford and Son on. Google it if you don't know who Sanford Son is. <laughs> but I can remember a little, being a little kid and just watching. It, it was unbelievable, man. These giant stadiums just filled with people, and then they would start singing just as I am at the end, and people would flood. You know, as a pastor, I've thought many times, 
man, only God could do that. But there were dots I really didn't connect. So when you uh, listen to the Billy Graham channel and it's just one Billy Graham sermon right after another, you, you know what struck me? How much he talks about sin. I mean, it is sermons, almost all of them, about sin and how it destroys our life and how it ultimately drags us to hell. And when you think of Billy Graham, you don't really think this guy who was a fire and brimstone, but he was. That didn't mean he was yelling and screaming. It just meant the content of his sermons were sinners. You know, it's so easy to forget sin is the issue. It's our sin that separates us from God. So without sin, we don't need the cross. We don't need an empty grave. We don't need a Savior. What does Jesus save us from? Our sin and death. Huh. So David prayed, see if there is any wicked way in me. It takes a lot of courage, doesn't it, to pray that prayer. God, would you get your spotlight out and investigate, search every nook and cranny of my heart and mind and show me the wicked ways that are in me? You guys get this, right? It's so easy to minimize our sin. Most of the time, I think this would be true. Most of the time, um, if you ask me, is there any known unconfessed sin in my life? I would say no. Hmm. But you asking me and me asking God are two very different things. I've made this a habit in my life uh, to do this occasionally. I don't do it enough. But I'll just get alone, especially when I'm feeling like, God, I know I'm sinful. I, I'm not aware of any unconfessed sin in my life. So I get alone because I know that's not true. And I just ask God, God, would you show me my sin? And I wait. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, God. Thank you. God, would you please forgive me for that? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, wow. How could I have forgotten that? Thank you, God. Would you please forgive me for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. 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 God, please stop. Stop. I know I am a sinful man. And you are a gracious God. And would you please forgive me? Now let me ask you a question. When God's showing me that stuff, do you think that pushes me far away from God? Or does it draw me close to God? Man, when God starts showing you your sin and you know he's the only one who can help with that, you run to him. Hmm. But every time we minimize our sin, we take a step away from God. So I want to encourage you. Sometime this week, get along with God. Just pre-decide. I'm going to get along with God. And I'm going to ask God to show me my sin. And I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to listen for as long as it takes. And I promise you, after that, you're going to walk away saying, what a wonderful Savior we have. He already knew all that about me and loved me anyway. And he's so ready to forgive us. Search me, O oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Here's another thing we have to do. This is the last thing. Write this down. God wants to specify our direction. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. And here it is. And lead me in the way everlasting. One of the things you get in the Bible that if you pay attention, you just can't miss. Uh, the Bible gives us two ways. You see it all through the Psalms. You see it all through the New Testament um, David was very aware of this. In fact, in the very first psalm that David wrote, Psalm 1, uh, there's this picture of a person who is blessed. Blessed is a man who walks not in the way of sinners and takes not the counsel and all, you know, and sits not in the way. Man, he gives all, and if he does this and he sits by a tree, he's going to be like this tree growing with fruit. And man, it's... But then he says, but the wicked aren't like this. David prayed, God, see if there's any wicked way in me. <laughs> but the wicked are not like this. You know what they're like? Instead of this tree that's growing and fruitful, and they're like chaff. You know, when the Bible says the word chaff, here's what it means. Like if you, you ever, um, we don't really pick wheat and stuff, but 
You ever had peanuts with those little, little skinny skin, and you kind of, you know, you, they're in your hand, and you, you blow them. I mean, just like nothing, right? That's chaff. The wicked aren't like a tree, fruitful, healthy, by a river. The wicked are like chaff, and they just blow away. And then Psalm 1 kind of ends with verse 6, and it says, For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Two ways. Lead me in the way everlasting, David prayed, two ways. Jesus had something really interesting to say about these ways. He called them roads, an air road and a broad road. Matthew 7, here's what Jesus said. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Powerful words. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way to death. You see, when we pre-decide we're going to be close to God, we are pre-deciding to walk in the way everlasting. Not deciding to be close to God is deciding to be far from God and walking on the broad way to hell. You see, one day, we're all going to stand before God. And we have to pre-decide to be on the narrow way that leads to heaven. Because when we don't pre-decide to be on the narrow road, we are deciding to be on the broad road to hell. You see, God doesn't minimize sin. It's such a big deal, he was willing to hang on a cross to take it away from us. Some of you are here right now and you've been dancing around this for a long time. Maybe a big part of your life. You don't really want to think about your sin. You like, well, I know God loves me and I'm okay, I think. And... But you're not. Because you have minimized your sin instead of letting God forgive it. And you are happily walking down the broad road to hell, comfortably walking down the broad road to hell. 
because you don't want to deal with your sin. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Pre-decide right now. I'm going to get on the narrow way. Please. Please. Don't minimize this moment. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Here's what I want you to do. If you can say, Steve, that's me. I've danced around it. I've played with it. I, I come to church. Thousands and thousands of people went to a Billy Graham crusade thinking they were okay because they minimized their own sin. Could you please right now be honest. And would you just pray David's prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Because God, I, I want you to lead me in the way everlasting. And right now, for a lot of you, God is speaking to you right now, saying now's the day. Today is the day. Right now's the time to get on the narrow road. I'm deciding right now. If that's you, just as earnestly as you can, from your heart to God, would you pray? Jesus, I believe you. I believe you died on a cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. I believe you're alive right now. And right here, right now in this room, Jesus, I believe you are offering me a gift of eternal life. And I am deciding right now to accept your gift. Save me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just prayed and asked Jesus to save you, why don't you just raise your hand up really high? Just raise it up really high. I see you. 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 Father, thank you. For forgiving sin right here, right now, and creating a brand new life, birthing brand new children of yours right here in this moment. Thank you, God. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, everybody look at me. If you prayed and accepted Christ, if you raised your hand, there's a next step for you. You don't just go, okay, now what? The next step is... We, we have a ministry called Next Steps. You can go there after this service. It meets right out in the hall where the big flag says Next Steps. If you can't do it today, that's your next step. When you can, you pre-decide, I'm going to Next Steps because I want to live for Jesus. All right, let's stand and sing.